trigger warning. The following episode contains references to Animal cruelty Human suffering Death Factual inaccuracies Several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. Oh, London, you've been so bad this year. You're going to get a lump of coal in your lungs. I'm Santa. Little Davy's been working so hard. Why, the whole neighborhood is glowing with pride. I'm Kelly. Nuclear power. So hot right now. I'm Adam. I invented this amazing new power source. It splits the very atom and glows with energy. I thought maybe we could use it to boil some water. I'm Sean, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This week, we're going to be talking about power generation. Like I said, that is the name of my band. It's <laughs> a good band name. Is that like when you, you know, get bitten by a radioactive spider and get superpowers? <sighs> it's when your children have more power than you did. <laughs> so this episode was suggested by Don. Thanks for the suggestion, Don. Sorry it took us so long to put this one together, but it was a bit of a tricky one. Yeah, I slammed my head against it for a while and just came out with a dented head. <laughs> I've been so busy. <laughs> I think it's a good look for you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So as we learned in our Power Tools episode, power comes from Latin posse, meaning to be able, and generate is also Latin generatus, meaning to produce. So to produce abilitily, tippitily. Abilitizily. Mm-hmm. There isn't really a fear of power. I think it's too useful to inspire too much fear. I'm Amish. And for just a... A tiny bit of background. So for millennia, power was just living things. But in the 1500s, a steam turbine was described by Taki al-Din in Egypt. And since then, basically, everything has been about boiling water. <laughs> we really should innovate on that one of these yeah, days. It feels so lame. So for our acid pop quiz here, we're going to start by saying true or false. And the true is this power source is basically boiling water. Or not. So, coal power. True. 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 Yep. Steam power. Solar power. False. Mm. I think there's some of each. Yeah, I thought you could, like, store that directly in batteries somehow. So, I'm going to say false. Yeah, I mean, there are solar panels for your house, but those... No one really has enough solar panels to run their house. So, solar power plants heat up water and boil it. So, <laughs> that one's true. Solar panel. <laughs> Nuclear power. True. True. Yep, that one's true. Wind. See, I was just told that... No, let's... I don't think so. That just turns a turbine. Yeah, you oh. don't need the steam anymore. So it's false then. Yeah, it's skipping the middleman. <laughs> yep, that one is false. Skipping the hydroman. Diesel. Oh, no, that's just me. That's what they call me down at the gym. <laughs> I'll say false. Yeah, I don't think that. True. Yep, this one is also false. Yeah, pretty much everything else except for uh, hydropower is boiling water. Boil it right up. Mm-hmm. Yum, soup. Make some noodles. So we're moving on to our terms. What is enthalpy? Enthalpy? Enthalpy. That's, that's entropy with a lisp. 
<laughs> That's what I said. Enthalpy. <laughs> Enthalpy is, well, it's pronounced Anthony, and that's just the way I spelled it for my son, damn it. <laughs> that's the something about the efficiency of different types of power. So it's like the loss you have between, I'm making words up, <laughs> putting efficiency, yeah. like it's the efficiency loss. Um, no, mostly entropy is the efficiency loss. That's like heat loss and things like that. Enthalpy is the total energy potential of a system mm -hmm. in both its heat and its pressure. So you can capture mm -hmm. both of those things to generate power. And the, the accumulative power of those two is enthalpy. Interesting. What was the Kyoto Protocol? Something to do with nukes. It's, uh, it's the protocol we have just in case any of our power generations create giant monsters. Mm -hmm. The Kyoto Protocol is the protocol that we use to rearrange the letters in Kyoto to make a new Japanese capital. <laughs> Something to do with nukes. Yeah. <laughs> so bad stuff has been pumped into the air since the Industrial Revolution. And since then, people have been noticing that having all those gases in the air is kind of bad. In 1997, a bunch of countries got together and said, hey, we really need to stop pumping all this crap into the air. I breathe that junk, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, the Kyoto Protocol was enacted, in which all the countries promised to lessen their toxic gas emissions by 5% by 2012. They all put their hands in and said, go team, and ran home. Now, some did good, but most realized that this would be expensive and also that they liked money. <laughs> oh, I don't want to do that then. Yeah. Now, breathing acid isn't really so bad. Yeah. Well, no, the, all, the, all the rich people have Perrier. <laughs> <laughs> and I had my fingers crossed at the convention. For the most part, if you look at gas emissions from before 1997 and then on to 2012, it's pretty much a straight line going up with no bends whatsoever. In December of 2012, everyone looked at what they had done, which was essentially nothing, and had to face the fact that they weren't going to make their 15-year goal happen in the next 30 days. <laughs> so... They enacted the Doha Amendment, which basically gave them some more procrastinating time until 2020. <laughs> Yay! This was replaced in 2015 by the Paris Climate Agreement, which, like its two predecessors, is mostly being ignored by the biggest offenders. And actively ignored by America. Yep. America uh, and China have just said, Don't preach deeply, Andy. We need that. <sighs> <sighs> So what is the Rankin cycle? Uh, it is a, a stationary bicycle that you use to uh, stop motion animate uh, children's Christmas stories. Hmm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was a stationary bicycle that smelled real bad. No, I went the, I went the Rankin Bass uh, <laughs> angle. Wow. That's the ranking cycle. Mm. And that's when someone rates a movie really low on Rotten Tomatoes, and then someone who loves that movie goes and rates a movie they love really low, <laughs> and then every movie goes down. Mm. That's the, the German word for a wind turbine. Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really excited about it as all. Well. <laughs> so this is what most power generation uses. You heat up water, spin a turbine, condense the water, and do it again. So that process is called the Rankin cycle. Okay. Rankin cycle. <laughs> What's a P super? P super. 
Uh, that is what we call each other on the uh, the condensed soup message boards. <laughs> Something about really thick steam, like a fog, mm. is called like a pea soup. Didn't one, mm. didn't one of those gorillas in a primal rage have a pea souper? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that it, was a fatality. Yeah, it was a pea finisher. Yeah, I thought this was like when the smog was really bad in London back in the day. They called it a pea souper. Mm. Like a real pea souper out like there. Pea souper it is. <laughs> that is actually correct. Yay. In London, when the air would get so thick from burning coal that you couldn't see more than a few feet, that was called a pea super. So for the next part of our acid pop quiz, we're going to talk about some different aspects of power generation. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is efficiency, because that's what it's all about, right? You try to capture as much power as you can. Yes. Yeah, that whole enthalpy thing I was telling you. <laughs> so... We're going to talk about six power sources. We're going to talk about nuclear, solar, wind, natural gas, diesel, coal, and water turbines. So for power efficiency, from least to most efficient, where do you think coal is? Oh, I know it loses like 80% of its shit, but it's cheap. Is that efficient? (laughs) Yeah, saving money. Uh, I'm going to say it's not that efficient. I'm going to say it's... Third from the bottom. Uh, second from the bottom. Okay. I think it's number three. All right. Well, if one, so we're saying one is the least efficient? One is the most efficient. One is the most efficient. Okay. In that case, this is number two. Wow. Mm-hmm. And at number two, it is 35% efficient. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> what about solar? Not very efficient. Oh, solar my God. Solar was like super inefficient, but it's getting better. I'm going to put that at the bottom. Yeah, uh, I'm going to put it in fifth place. Mm. I also want to say the bottom. Yeah, Kelly got it. It was fifth, but you were close. Solar is 20%, but due to things like night and clouds, it's usually more like 20 or 12%. <laughs> Once we beat that whole night thing, we'll really be in business. 20% on a sunny day in Arizona. Yeah. What about water turbines? I know that I think they're pretty efficient. Let's I don't think they're number one. Let's go with number three. Okay. I like your answers, Andy, but I've been wrong every time. (laughs) (laughs) I also like three for this. That seems, I mean, it seems at least, you know, 27% efficient. There's that bandwagon, Adam, saying, hey, jump on me. (laughs) Hear it. Pass me by. I got to hop on. Okay, I'm doing it. We need a top (laughs) bonus. You're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Water turbines are the most efficient. Uh, Oh, really? Good for water. You're really going places, water. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, coal power was 35%. uh, Water turbine at number one is 85% efficient. It's because you don't have to do the whole boiling process. It just skips that whole get it hot part. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, most of the energy that's lost is through heat. And the only heat from a water turbine is friction. So, Damn, Hoover. (laughs) What about natural gas? Uh, Number six. It's terrible. Yeah. Four. If oxygen not included has taught me anything... It's going to kill us all someday because all the gas is going to get out and stuff. Again. I was thinking batteries <laughs> not included. And I was like, I don't remember that from that movie. <laughs> uh, uh, six. Uh, Andy got it. It's four. Yeah. So it's, nukes are last. Thirty-two uh, percent. We have two left. Oh. So we have diesel and nuclear power for six and three. I'm putting nuclear at three and diesel at the bottom. Yeah, diesel's okay. got to be bad, right? I am. I am following Andy's lead. He's just so charming. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's a shame you can't back it up because you're all wrong. <laughs> You've led us astray almost every time, Andy. <laughs> I'm so good at this. Diesel is actually tied with coal at 35%, but the numbers kind of vary a little bit. So coal swung higher a little bit. Nuclear power is the least efficient at 0.27% efficiency. What the heck? It's, so, a, it's a lot of heat. <laughs> it's, it's not very efficient. It just... It it's doesn't just, need to be because there's so much of it. Right. It's so hot that we don't need to capture very much of it to get a lot out. That makes sense. Yep. But yeah, there you go. Hey Adam, what do you call a really strong fish? I don't know. Finn Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we're going to talk about how much power in the world comes from these sources. And we've got coal, gas, hydro, nuclear, diesel, and then everything else is all lumped together. So what do you think is the most common coal? Coal. Sure. It's either coal or natural gas, I think. (laughs) It's definitely coal. 38% of the world's power comes from coal. Hmm. What about- I might have actually expected that to be higher. Yeah. Yeah. What about diesel? I don't- I've never really heard about diesel being used as like a power source. More than like third, sure. I think it's under everything else. Yeah. So it's the last one. Yeah. Bottom. Mm-hmm. It'd be like just a giant truck that doesn't go anywhere. Nobody does <laughs> that. Smelly. Uh, yeah, you guys are right. Diesel is at the bottom. Oh, yes. I, I definitely said the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no one trusts you anymore, Andy. What about hydropower? We just learned that's really great. It is great. I feel like it's going to be near the bottom, though, because you need very specific conditions for yeah, it. Yeah, you can't do that everywhere. It's true. And you got to build dams, and then it messes up fish. One, One from the bottom. Yeah. No, no, Andy's wrong all the time. It's the bottom. <laughs> no, you already did the bottom. We already have the bottom. It. Uh, third from the bottom. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it under coal. Number two? Mm-hmm. It's number three. So it is 16%. What about nuclear? Nuclear. I'm going to put that in second place too. Yeah. I'm just going to keep putting things in I'm, second I'm going to follow Kelly this time. I'm following someone else. <laughs> it's hard to get nuclear power. Mm. Um, lots of places don't have it because they can't do it. That's true. I'm putting it second from the bottom. I'm putting it second from the top. I'm going to follow Kelly. <laughs> You're all wrong. It's number four. Yeah. 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 10%. So all we got left is gas and everything else. And what positions are these? There's number two and number five. Gas at two and everything else at five. Hmm. You didn't see my dismissive hand wave of everything else. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that. I'm going to flip it. I don't trust Andy. <laughs> well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Andy got that. <laughs> Gas is 23%. Everything else is 8%. And that includes like geothermal and stuff? Mm-hmm. Geothermal is cool. It is cool, geothermal. but even more specific only, conditions. <laughs> only if you live somewhere with a really thin crust. Yeah. Needs to be nice and toasty. Welcome <laughs> to the Great Basin where, where we're a spreading zone. Yeah. <laughs> desert with heat from above and below. <laughs> like Satan's desert. <laughs> Because of all the sin you see. Would you like <laughs> sulfurous hot water? <laughs> so next, I found a very useful website that was how many deaths result per trillion kilowatt hours from these power sources. So we've got nuclear, wind, solar, water, gas, oil, heart, <laughs> and coal. So where do you think solar is at? Solar doesn't kill people. Hmm. It kills birds. So it does. Kill birds, birds aren't people. What about bird people? <laughs> <laughs> and so you're just talking about like the actual generation of it, not like people sticking a fork in a socket or something. Uh, yeah. Would like 
like if it were coal, would mining for coal count toward the deaths? Yes. Okay. This is the whole process. Yeah, coal, coal's getting up at number one. I'm just yeah. putting that up there. I'm I'm putting solar at the bottom. Yeah. Solar. Sunshine. Can't see anybody getting vaporized? Skin cancer. <laughs> so sorry. Where are you putting it, Andy and Adam? Bottom. The bottom. Bottom. Adam. Also bottom. Yes. That. It is third from the bottom. Oh. Third. 440 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. But how? I'm guessing you'll tell us later how they died. Uh, well, I'll just tell you now. Mostly, honestly, it's people falling off of roofs while installing them. <laughs> that's not solar power killing people. That's roofs killing people. <laughs> but that, that qualifies. I mean, if miners digging for coal, you know. Not launching people at the sun. <laughs> we must do so, that higher. <laughs> So Andy and Adam felt that coal was number one. Kelly, did you want to dispute that at all? What were the other options again? Uh, nuclear, wind, water, gas, and oil. It's got silly parts. <laughs> mm, yeah, coal mining's icky. Number one. Yeah, you guys are right. It is number one. Solar was 440. Coal is 100,000. There we go. <laughs> That's a jump. Yeah. What about nuclear? It's, it's, I think it's pretty low, actually. For the most part, except for the yeah. accidents. I'm, I'm, you know yeah. what? I'm putting it at the bottom. There are accidents, but they don't happen very often. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. nuclear has a pretty good track record. It just, when it does go wrong, it gets a lot of press. Yeah. It's scary. Um, putting that second from the bottom. Okay. Well, this one is at the bottom. Ooh, Including all the nuclear disasters, nuclear power has 90 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. Nuclear vessels. <laughs> if only we could figure out what to do with all that toxic waste. Yeah, it's a bit of a problem. <laughs> well, have a perfectly good hollowed out mountain right here. Yeah, that's future world's problem. <laughs> what about water? What about water? <laughs> well, Who needs it? Like all the people that are putting the Hoover Dam. Yeah. Yeah, and like the people diving to fix yeah. things. Don't Second. forget when the dams break. I'm dams breaking. Yeah, let's go second. You've convinced me. <laughs> Yeah, second sounds good. Uh, water's right in the middle, which I guess would be number four. It's 1,400 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. So still about 1% of uh, coal. Yeah. What about wind? It's people falling from high places again. Second <laughs> at the bottom. And the, the occasional paraglider that gets too close to the wind farm. <laughs> yeah. One of the wheels just breaks off and rampages through a city. <laughs> <laughs> I told you that wind would be the end of us. <laughs> Yeah, second from the bottom. Yeah, I just, there's the the couple guys that like do maintenance on them every once in a while, but for the most part, people aren't up there a lot, I don't think. They're a couple? They're a couple. They're married. <laughs> I feel like, oh so we, we have the deaths from falling for the solar panels, but like professionals are going to be doing wind farms. It's mm. not just going to be some dude putting a wind it's, it's turbine on his house. Arkansas farming for wind. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget the cancer. <laughs> So I'm going to put that uh, second from the bottom. Yeah. Yep. You guys got it. It's 150 deaths per trillion kilowatt hours. So our last two are gas and oil at second and third most deadly. I'm going to put. Ooh, such a tie. Oil at two and gas right below that. Uh, gas has to be two because none of my duplicates have died from oil. <laughs> it's all that fracking stuff now. Um, yeah. Gas, then oil. Okay, gas is number three at 4,000. And oil is number two at 36,000. Ooh, that's an increase. Yep. But still one third of coal. <laughs> and that concludes our acid pop quiz. Bring the coal mines back. Mm. 
Yeah, we really, we really want them in our small towns. Come on. <laughs> Where will Zoolander work? <laughs> so before we really get into our stories, I wanted to go over some things we won't be talking about. I'm mostly going to avoid nuclear power plant disasters, as podcasts on those are a dime a dozen. I also won't be talking much about dam disasters, since we did an episode on dams. And also, there's a great story in our sewer episode on a gas explosion in Guadalajara, Mexico, so that's definitely worth a listen. But uh, speaking of sewer gas explosions, I thought we'd start with a similar story from 1944 in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland rocks. (laughs) It certainly did on this day. (laughs) So this was a natural gas explosion. Now, natural gas is surprisingly safe compared to some other power sources, and there's long lists of all the times natural gas plants and transports didn't blow up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But it's a wonder that they got that far as the first major natural gas plant was also the site of the deadliest natural gas accident in history. This plant was established in 1940, and it seemed to work great. They started with three big-ass spheres filled with liquid natural uh, gas, and (laughs) things were going so well that they commissioned another tank in 1944. For those of you that don't know, there was a little thing going on in 1944 called World War II, and as a result, steel was hard to come by. The company that made the tank did their best, but the steel ended up being very brittle, unbeknownst to the people at the factory. Uh Uh-oh. On October 20th, 1944, the big tank cracked and gas started to vent out. Being heavier than air, it wafted down to the ground, down a hill, and finally into the sewers. And I'm assuming this hadn't been treated so you could smell it or anything, right? Uh, I don't think so at this point because it was still liquid. It was just as the crack happened, it vented out. So in the sewers, it built up until it was nice and explodey, and then it exploded. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I never saw this coming. (laughs) The explosion shot manhole covers miles away from where they started and set all kinds of fires. The fire department rushed out, put out the fires, high-fived, and went home. (laughs) But the thing was, the gas had pooled oddly around the town, so while the bulk of it had exploded, lots of exciting little explosive pockets Mm. were left. For the next day or so, houses would just randomly explode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Survivors said that their drains would suddenly belch flames, setting the house on fire. (laughs) Coroner Sam Gerber, a man after my own heart, stated that the death toll was 200, but said that it would be almost impossible to get a true count because the heat of the explosions was so intense it could vaporize flesh and bone. (laughs) Fun. That's very exciting, but not very true. (laughs) The final death toll was 130, which is bad, but it was also unfortunate because 600 people lost their homes. Now, while the war was on, a good strategy to get some equity was to buy a home. And to fuel the war, the government sold lots of war bonds, which people kept in their house that they bought to keep all the savings they'd pulled out of the banks during the Great Depression. Oh, no. So many lost everything in these fires. This event severely tarnished natural gas's reputation for the coming decades. Don't store your cash under your mattress. Yeah, it's generally a bad idea. It's where you're supposed to put bodies. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we know that now. So there isn't much to say about solar power. The deaths from solar power are almost all people falling from high places while installing panels. But in case you didn't know, there's an interesting deadly side effect to solar farms. 
So if you don't know what these are, these are huge fields of mirrors that rotate to catch the sunlight and focus it on a large central tower where it lamely heats up a bunch of water, turning <laughs> it into steam, like every, almost every other type of power generation. They look cool, though. They yeah. do look cool. Looks like something out of James Bond that a villain. Yeah. Yep. One such plant in the Mojave Desert in California just so happens to be right in the middle of a migration path of several different species of birds. Oh, no. Oops. <laughs> If a bird flies through one of these beams being focused on the tower, a cooked dinner falls out of the sky like a Looney Tune. One biologist estimates that 6,000 birds are killed at this farm every year. Jeez. Can we put up some like signs pointing around it? <laughs> like nets they, around it or something? Really happy lizards yeah. underneath those things, though. I was going to say hobo dinner plates <laughs> they've been trying to figure out what to do but like yeah they can't really get nets high enough to stop the birds and also it's a problem because like these solar farms are well they're hot and they basically like wipe everything else out but the one thing they can do okay in them is bugs and so the birds <laughs> right. come in to eat the bugs oh no so yeah bit of a problem they're trying to figure out what to do So wind turbines are largely the same. Sometimes people fall when building them or fixing them, and sometimes pieces fall off and smoosh someone. Oh, and also birds sometimes misjudge the speed they're spinning at and get taken out by one of the blades. But there is one story that I wanted to talk about from October of 2013 in the Netherlands, where two men were working on a wind turbine when it caught fire. They're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So they were on the top and the fire was inside. So they couldn't get to the one and only escape route. Helicopters tried to get to them, but the heat and flames pushed them back. They tried dropping water on the fire, but couldn't get enough on it to put the fire out. And it made the people very soggy. Yeah, I'd rather be soggy than on fire. A large crane was being moved in, but it wasn't going to make it there in time. The two decided they weren't going to make it, so they hugged each other and then chose their fates. One jumped and was found dead at the base. The other tried to climb down through the fire and was burned alive. Uh, No. (laughs) If you care to view it, there's a tragic image of the two hugging on top of the flaming turbine. No. (laughs) I will pass. These things happen. Yeah, it just, that, that, ugh. Just imagine being at the top of one of those big-ass fans. It's like, do you smell something? <laughs> I, but I, I, I feel like I would have chosen the jump instead of the fire. I feel like I would make a parachute a part of my work outfit if I worked on these wind turbines. Right? <laughs> Hug onto it and slide down it like you're a Ghostbuster <laughs> or a fireman. Ghostbusters are cooler than firemen. Because <laughs> a lot of times with high-up jobs like that, they'll have like a harness that hooks them onto something up there. What if instead of a harness, they're just bungee cords? Yeah. <laughs> And they bring back up into the fire. <laughs> now, oil isn't super deadly to people. True, it can explode, but that's harder to do than you might think. And if you hit a vein of the stuff, you can just pump it out. So no need to go mining it out like coal. That being said, the trouble with oil is that when it gets loose, it's super deadly to plants and animals. Oil gets into the feathers of seabirds, which weighs them down and lets the water in. Birds are usually hypothermia-proof, but if the water seeps in and they can't fly away, they die. Sea mammals that poke their heads out to breathe get all gunked up with oil and drown, and sea life is pretty delicate. So if you get oil in your gills or all over your eggs, you mostly die. Yeah. 
Oil spills are bad news for the environment. I got lots of different numbers from lots of different sites, but here are some sort of average-ish numbers for the three worst oil spills in history. Number three was the Ixtoc number one oil well in 17... Or sorry, 1979. I was like, when did they start doing this? (laughs) George Washington himself put it in. (laughs) So an oil well in the Gulf of Mexico collapsed and caused a gusher to flow for several days, releasing 140 million gallons of oil. Number two was in 2010 when BP's oil rig Deepwater Horizon blew up and let loose oil for 85 days. I think we all remember that one. Yeah, it was a big deal. By the time the event was successfully capped, 210 million gallons of oil had been released, and again in the Gulf of Mexico. And the largest oil spill in history was in Kuwait in 1991 during the Gulf War. Iraqi forces were making a break for it and they needed a distraction, so they decided to open all the pipes at several oil wells and set fire to them. Well, that would work. It did work. And the U.S. had to work for almost four months to stop the flow. By the time they did, 330 million gallons had been released. So the uh, top three aren't very close together. Number one is more than double number three. That's a heck of a thing. Yeah. I, I, we have to get away. I don't know. Let's destroy our country. Yeah. Set, burn it all down. <laughs> So in the 1950s, a lot of London's power came from coal, and a lot of their heat, too. So much was burned that London was famous for its poor air quality, and there were days when a dense fog of coal gas would descend on the town. These were pea supers. And Bob Cratchit would just scrape it up and throw it in the furnace. (laughs) But in the winter of 1952, some strange weather systems caused a cold front to just sit on London. The lack of wind meant that all the coal being burned went straight up and back down again. We had this in Seattle before. Yep. The cold meant that more coal was being burned. (laughs) Great. This odd weather phenomenon lasted from December 5th to December 9th of 1952. In that time, the coal fog was so thick, it's reported that people couldn't see their feet. Cars couldn't drive, which would normally stir the air somewhat, which added to the still thick air walking around during the day was hard but at night it was impossible since the fog was so thick light from street lamps couldn't reach the ground (laughs) (laughs) worry the lamps are going to catch the sky on fire seriously movie theaters shut down because the air was so bad that people couldn't see the screen And it may surprise you to hear this, but breathing air so thick with coal that you can't see your feet is kind of bad for you. Oh, no. Also, if you needed help, you couldn't call an ambulance because they couldn't see where they were going. So you had to swim through the coal soup to get to the hospital. It was initially reported that in this five-day span, 4,000 people died from the smog. Jeez. Later estimates put the total for the five days and the aftermath closer to 12,000. Jeez. <laughs> The event was dubbed the Great Smog of London, and it's one of the first events that pe- that made people go, hey, maybe we're altering the environment with all this burning of fossil fuels. No, no. O- only like nine and a half out of every ten scientists agrees, Sean. <laughs> so next we're going to talk about coal. So I wanted to talk about the worst mining disaster in history, which happened in Benshu, 
Colliery in China, 1942. Yep. Now, coal mining is dangerous on its own, but this mine was being run in China by the Japanese during the Sino-Japanese War. So while most mines are run by underpaid workers in hazardous conditions, this one was run by prisoners of war slaves in fatally dangerous conditions. Always get more prisoners of war. (laughs) It's never been more profitable. (laughs) The workers mined for a minimum of 12 hours a day. They got very little food, and some were so underdressed for mining that they were barefoot. And anyone who slowed down too much was beaten. That's the situation leading up to the disaster. For unknown reasons, some gas and coal dust caught fire on April 26th. The explosion was so large, it shot out of the mine entrance like Satan's organ. (laughs) (laughs) The Japanese overseers said, don't worry, we know what to do. Fires can't burn without oxygen. And they sealed the entrances to the mine along with anyone who had survived the explosion inside. They've created Silent Hill. (laughs) Word got out and the nearby town people rushed to the mines to help their trapped and or dead family members. But the Japanese wouldn't let them in. Uh Oh, there's fire down there. Yeah, it's too dangerous. Wouldn't want anyone to get hurt. (laughs) Leading up to the explosion, they had the mine-slash-POW camp surrounded in barbed wire, but the desperate relatives of the trapped miners were barreling through, so the Japanese electrified the barbed wire. (laughs) After a few days, when they were sure the fire was out, the Japanese sent whoever was left right back to work, clearing the collapsed tunnels of debris and what was left of their co-workers. The Japanese wanted to downplay the disaster, so they issued a press release of just 40 words that listed the death toll as 34. Pretty good. More accurate numbers from China and the Soviet investigators after the fact put the total at 1,549. Or it's a little bit bigger. It's a slightly <laughs> bigger number. It's a little bit. Maybe the Japanese were working in a different base system. Yeah. It's got to convert it. Mm-hmm. That if that's true, that is 34% of the miners that were working that day. But in Japan's defense, 31 of the people were Japanese. <laughs> Atrocities. So our next coal disaster is from Centralia, Pennsylvania. Ah, yes. So this was a small town where miners and their families lived. In the early 1960s, this nice little town had a problem. Too much garbage. It was just heaped up in all kinds of places. Don't you have a waste management for that? (laughs) Not at that time. In May of 1962, they decided to do something about it. Now, the details here are sketchy because it's against the law to burn garbage, but it seems that they decided to send out their volunteer fire department to burn away most of the garbage and then put out the fire. On May 27th, they put this plan into action and everything went great. They even waited until the sun went down so that any dwindling fires would be visible. They squirted them with their volunteer fire hoses, high-fived, and went back home. The hoses volunteer too? Yep. But then on May 29th, some reported a fire from the landfill. Whoops. (laughs) Whoopsie daisy. No, no, that's impossible. (laughs) Well, no problem. They went back out there, squirt, squirt, done and done. Oop, but then they reported another fire on June 4th. Okay, enough messing around. They brought in a bulldozer to smoosh the garbage and then spray it all down. Squish the fire. Yeah. Squish the fire out. But while the bulldozer was smooshing, they uncovered a 15-foot or 4.5-meter hole filled with smoldering garbage. Well, hey, now. Mm. 
Now, since this town is pretty much over a coal mine, that could be very bad. It was probably fine, but just in case, they sent a letter to the coal company saying, listen, there may have been a fire near one of the mines. Not pointing any fingers, but it was really hot last week. So just saying. <laughs> I think somebody threw out a magnifying glass and it's on <laughs> top of the heap. The mine did not take this lightly, and they spun up a $20,000 project to carve out any potential burning coal. When they got down there, they found that coal was certainly burning, and they started to dig it out. <laughs> oh, yep. There it is. Behind the walls of fire. <laughs> <laughs> They ran out of money before they ran out of fire, so they got more money and dug some more. Again, they ran out of money, but they still thought some stuff was on fire, so they got more money for one last project. We keep throwing money at it, but it's not putting the fire out. <laughs> the total cost was $82,000, but they were pretty sure they got all of it, they thought. For the next 10 years or so, next 10 years or so, things seemed okay, but then odd stuff started happening. Smoke could be seen rising sometimes. Animals would be found dead out in the woods. But hey, in good news, they didn't have to plow the roads in winter. All the snow just magically melted. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm afraid your town is haunted. All <laughs> uh, the specters wandering around. So many Silent Hills happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> In 1979, the mayor slash gas station owner. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> well, he was taking some readings from his underground tank and he noticed that the gas was 172 degrees or 79 <laughs> degrees Celsius. Tapping on the gauge. <laughs> um, average. Is that a one at the beginning? <laughs> In 1980, they started checking things out seriously and it wasn't looking good. The whole thing came to a head in 1981 when a 12-year-old boy was mowing a lawn when a sinkhole four feet wide, or 1.2 meters, and 150 feet deep, or 46 meters, opened up underneath him. Oops. <laughs> he grabbed some roots as he fell, screamed for help, and was quickly pulled out. The hole billowed smoke with more than toxic levels of carbon monoxide. Hold that grass a little too close. Yeah. The devil wanted him to mow his lawn next. <laughs> In 1984, the government offered to buy people's land at, so they could evacuate, and most did. Interestingly, census information shows that nearby towns didn't have significant increases in population, suggesting that those that got out went as far away as they possibly could. <laughs> what with all the devil holes and the haunting. <laughs> yeah. Some people stayed, though, and in 1992, the government enacted eminent domain and told anyone who was left to get out. Still, some doggedly refused, and as late as 2017, 10 people still live in Centralia. This is Uncle Sam's burning hellhole now. <laughs> the mine fire is still burning, and at its current rate, it's estimated that will it will continue to do so for another 250 years. Can I what visit the town? What do you do in a city of 10 people? That's a good question. I'm the mayor like now. This. No, I am. <laughs> I own the gas station. <laughs> One person runs the ice cream shop. They have like 50 bucks that they but just the ice cream between them. <laughs> <laughs> Worst birthday ever. <laughs> My ice cream cake. <laughs> so I wanted to end today by talking about David Hahn. Do you guys know who this is? Nope. I think so. nope. Okay, good. So David was born in 1976 in Michigan. He was a smart kid, but may maybe not quite as smart as he thought he was. He was obsessed with science. 
When he was 10, he was given the Golden Book of Chemistry. For years after, he frequently conducted experiments. He worked in his mother's basement, and she grew used to the occasional crash or explosion from down there. Kaboom. To try and refocus his energies, he was urged to join the Boy Scouts. That didn't really help, though. He showed up to one meeting bright orange after trying to make his own tanning cream. <laughs> oh my god, he's become the president. <laughs> During a camping trip, an explosion blew a hole in the roof of his tent after he tried to make his own fireworks. Oh, but he would have been the most popular kid at camp if he yeah, had succeeded. It's true. Oh, yeah. One night, his mom's house was rocked by a huge explosion. She ran downstairs to find him unconscious and eyebrowless on the floor in a burning room. He had gotten a hold of some red phosphorus, which mm. is the thing that mach- makes match heads ignite, and he had shaken it a little too vigorously. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the fires were put out. David was taken to the hospital to pick glass shards out of his hands and eyes, Ouch. and his mother said, that's it. From now on, you have to do your experiments in the shed out back. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't just outright ban science. What a, what a supportive mother. You don't want to quash a child's, you know, passions. <laughs> Around this time, David became aware of the growing energy crisis in the world. And after some careful reading, i.e. skimming books way above his reading level, he decided that the way forward was nuclear power. So he decided to help his town by building his very own nuclear reactor. I think I yes. had heard of this guy. <laughs> Now, he couldn't get a hold of the raw materials to make a reactor, but a lot of nuclear materials come from other materials that he could get. For years, he amassed, uh, and forgive the term, a stockpile of elements that he could breed into enough materials to start a nuclear reactor. What distresses me is like, you know... When you're 12, yeah. fine. But this took him some time, and yeah. he never, like, rethought. <laughs> Get me some of them radium suppositories. Just make sure I'm, like, having a glowing compost pile out back. <laughs> Basically. He got a hold of some smoke detectors, which had a little bit of Americ... I never know how to say this. Americium? Hmm. It's a stupid name, whatever it is, in them. And he stripped that out. It's really stupid. Goodbye. <laughs> He bought old glow-in-the-dark clocks to get the radium from the glowing hands. He would write letters to companies pretending to be a college physics professor and ask them for radioactive samples for class demonstrations. They would send him a safe amount, but he would do this for dozens of companies. (laughs) Now, the inescapable downside to nuclear reactors is all that dang radiation. And as David got closer to his goal, his glow of pride was outshined by the radioactive glow of almost everything he touched. <laughs> oh, wait, this glow of pride isn't metaphorical anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just to check, he got a Geiger counter and was just making sure everything wasn't too dangerous. His shed maxed out the reader. <laughs> I feel Oops. Like it started with the Geiger counter. Oh, yeah. Only 3.5 sieverts. <laughs> he got a, or his room in the house was also dangerously high. In fact, he got readings from five houses away. He decided that maybe he had gone a little bit too far, and he decided to take the reactor apart. Amazingly, after two years of amassing radioactive material, he finally got caught as he was loading his reactor into his trunk to get rid of it. Jeez. Some neighbors thought that he was stealing tires. (laughs) No, no, it's much worse. (laughs) The police showed up and asked to see inside his trunk, and he vehemently told them that they really didn't want to open that. 
So in the end, they did, and the whole story came out, not least because David was more than a little proud of everything he had done. <laughs> now, now listen. <laughs> this sounds may- crazy. It's cool, but... <laughs> we may all die of cancer, but... <laughs> So David went to jail and it took the Nuclear Regulatory Commission two months to get rid of all the things David had made radioactive with his little experiment. Including his mother. Yeah, and neighbors. Yeah. I want to know what the law on the books is for that one. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that he had gotten a hold of that he wasn't allowed to have or he had made them. So it wasn't it wasn't a big Possessing spread. of dangerous materials yeah are they gonna do arrest me for having too many glowy clocks <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last of the stories that i had anybody have any personal stories about power generation been to the hoover dam yeah i'm using light right now it's true <laughs> i took the damn tour <laughs> uh from what i've read before i don't know i haven't like checked the sources or anything but i think centralia is what silent hill's based off of yep at least the movie i'm not sure about the games uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm taking physics and my professor has a, a like I just took an exam and the if, if there was a question about nuclear power, just say nuclear power. Very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This episode was hard to research. And a big part of why it was hard to research is because every type of power generation has like huge propaganda websites against all other types of power generation. So every website is always like, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened and no one will ever need anything else. Or this is horrible and it's killing you every day. And everything is so. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people would say, ah, wind farms are the worst. You know how much coal has to be burned to build those things it's like well sure but once you build one like it keeps generating power as long as you get more back than you burned using it then you're still making a profit there no no the president told me that they cause cancer <laughs> the wind farms yeah I forgot yep. about that. Yep. <laughs> wasn't one of the i don't know if it's real complaints or not but isn't one of the complaints about it like the noise or something yeah but they don't have to be around people yeah and another one that was all for nuclear power was talking about how more people have died installing solar panels on their roof than all the nuclear accidents combined. And that's true. I can't install a nuclear power plant on my house, but also solar panels don't make radioactive material. Like, (laughs) well, to be fair, the sunlight is already radiation. It's true. This episode was a little hard to research, but I don't know. Every every power generation has its downsides, and they all have their benefits, but yeah. Except for coal. Coal sucks. Yeah. Fossil fuels are generally bad, and we <laughs> should stop using them, but... Well, then all those dinosaurs died for nothing, Sean. <laughs> it wasn't even the dinosaurs. It was the plants. <laughs> those dino plants. Yeah. It's just, you know, we, we do need power. Yep. People die without it. Yep. Also, it gets cold and boring. <laughs> it's fucking cold, eh? <laughs> All right. Well, if nobody has any more personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth. So, for the rest of your life, you're going to go off the grid. Oh, so, no. you can still get things like water and internet and phone, but you have to get your power from somewhere else. How much would it cost for you to undertake this? So solar panels or yep. my very own tiny dam. Yep, whatever you feel you need. I don't know however much it would cost to set it up, I guess. That sounds like it's yeah. going to be real fucking annoying. I'm going to have to leave Seattle if I'm going to use solar panels. Yeah. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. is like, basically, unless... 
I forget the exact ratio, but you need like 10 times the amount of square foot of your house of solar panels to power your house. Like I'm going to have to buy some land. Yeah. You're going to need a lot of space if you're going solar. Five million dollars. Well, I yeah. mean, we're not just doing one specifically, right? Like I could do a mix. You could do whatever you want. Can I move next to a waterfall? Uh, yeah. If you could buy land next to a waterfall. <laughs> if I get enough money, I can. Five, five million, five million dollars. Yeah, five million? I really have no idea how much it would cost it. It's going to be annoying. And I know that my power is going to go out in the middle of playing a game or doing something important. <laughs> I mean, you can buy batteries. So I know that I know that Tesla has house batteries that you can like basically store enough power in the battery to power yeah. your house for a few hours, which is just like it's meant to level things out if you're doing things like solar pow- power in case there's a dip. Yeah, I, I so you can do like any of that. If you've got the like the hydro plant, that's going to be your most consistent source. Yeah. I thought you meant like I could just, you know, buy a lot of double A's. Yeah, as many as you want. <laughs> battery powered lights, battery powered computers, <laughs> everything. Just buy new computer batteries anytime my computer dies. No, I just, they're rechargeable batteries. I just go to Starbucks when I need to recharge them. Yeah. Uh, I just, I have no ballpark figure for how much the land and all the equipment would cost. Adam's life is going to be Starbucks powered. Yeah, that's that stuff's free. Is it? <laughs> How do you get free Starbucks? All it, all it costs you is a cup of coffee, Andy. Twenty million. I yeah. feel like I can get things set up nicely for twenty million. Mm, like a good amount. I guess I lowballed it. <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to get everything you need and, and install it. I'm gonna get one of them little bitty houses. Yeah. <laughs> Andy's gonna live in his car. <laughs> Just buy new car batteries whenever he needs one. Yep. Yeah. Plug things into the the smoke. Yeah. The smoking thing. Cigarette lighter. Cigarette lighter. There we go. <laughs> Cigarette lighters anymore. Smoking thing. Smoking wand. The exhaust pipe? <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. 15 million? Yeah. For me, the biggest downside is just that, like, whatever you do, I like living in a city, and I'm going to have to leave because I need a lot of space, and I don't really want to do that. So, it's just it's mostly just the cost of like having to live out in the boonies for the rest of my life, which I'm not looking forward to. But we're going to live next to a beautiful river. That's true. I have enough money to start my own power plant, so I get off the grid, but I create a new grid that's my own. <laughs> yeah, that's charge fine. people. Yeah, and then I, yeah. I create jobs. You could definitely do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely up in the millions. I'll say 10. That's probably enough. So we got 5, 10, 15, 20. Perfect. All right. I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today. And thanks to Gerard, our awesome editor. If you'd like to see more of us, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Acid Pop Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Reddit or email us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't breathe coal. Bye. <laughs>